Hello and uh, welcome to this, the sixth edition of the Premonition podcast. My name is Andrew Weaver and the guest today, well, you can tell uh, that the guest has a significant uh, legacy of achievement when they've got a not insignificant Wikipedia page all for themselves. And that indeed is what Professor Gillian Hadfield, today's guest, has. Gillian is a Professor of Law and Professor of Economics at the University of Southern California, uh, where she was based in Los Angeles when we chatted uh, earlier. She has a long and distinguished career in uh, legal academia and more recently published at the beginning of 2017 was a book called Rules for a Flat World, Why Humans Invented Law and How to Reinvent It for a Complex Global Economy. And Gillian brought into that book her combination of experience in law and economics to look at um, or to radically rethink how we make rules about law, to think about the challenges ahead uh, and how the many challenges in the world need to have law as a fundamental pillar. Um, So we touch a little bit on that, uh, but we try to focus quite a broad canvas within that book. Uh, We try to focus uh, more on the legal tech uh, world. Uh, Gillian's been involved recently in uh, some legal hacks and also a uh, very interesting competition or challenge uh, of AI versus lawyer, which indeed Premonition were involved in. So we have a, a crossover there. Uh, and then we finish with uh, an interesting observation on the impact, the growing importance of metric-based hiring uh, for consumers of legal services. But we come to that towards the end. Uh, Before that, there's some really interesting uh, areas that we cover. Uh, I was absolutely thrilled and and really genuinely delighted that Gillian came and joined us. So without further ado, I bring you Professor Gillian Hadfield. So it's a great pleasure and privilege to welcome to the Premonition podcast, Professor Gillian Hadfield. Hi there. Hi, Gillian. How are you? Good, thanks. Very Um, well. Are you in downtown Los Angeles at the moment? I am indeed. I am indeed. The the wonders of Skype. Now, I've I've, um, (laughs) I've just been watching a program about uh, Magna Carta uh, over here in England, and uh, that leads me nicely into the fact that, uh, Gillian, you published a book last year called Rules for a Flat World, which, if I'm right in describing why humans invented law and how to reinvent law for complex global economy. Give me a little background to, to the um, why you did the book, the ambition of it, and perhaps also a reflection now we're, we're a year on uh, as to the reaction, things that have evolved since, since you wrote the book. The book is a product of thinking about how well our legal systems are or are not working over a long period of time, which actually has its roots in personal experiences in family law, uh, too expensive, not you know, not really addressing problems, creating more problems than it seemed to solve, uh, which really snowballed into talking to general counsel in our biggest companies and people trying to uh, promote economic development around the globe. And the the thing I discovered through that process was that everybody really had a similar set of complaints about how well our legal systems work. They're too expensive, they're too complex, and really fundamentally not solving the problems that we need. So I started thinking about these problems. My training is as an economist, uh, thinking about, okay, this is a really fundamental piece of the way societies and fundamentally economies work. So what is the, um, uh, what is the, 
what, what's going on? Why, why are they not working very well? That, that set up a, a line of research. And at the end of all that, what I end up with is, wow, we're at a really important time in the history of human societies. Things are rapidly changing. And this fundamental, what I call legal infrastructure, is really not working very well. Um, and we need, we need to be working fast to change that. I've been talking to lawyers about that for a long time. <clears throat> I've been talking to lawyers about that for a long time. And uh, the book was really born from the feeling that it was really important to get this message out to all the people in the world, people, businesses, governments, and so on, that depend on the quality of our legal infrastructure to say, hey, folks, something really important is going on here. Uh, we all need to be focused on this. And part of the message was don't wait for lawyers to fix it, because if there's not pressure from the people who use law to change it, it's probably not going to change, at least certainly not fast enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that the, the book as well covers the fact that um, this is not just about legal tech, not about AI and blockchain. It's also about the people that don't actually have any access, which essentially is pretty much still half the world. That's correct. It's it. It really runs the gamut. It's from, you know, the ordinary person with a housing problem or a family or eviction problem through our uh, large corporations, global corporations uh, in the advanced world, the poor and developing world. It just cuts across the board. Um, and you'd asked me about, you know, how, how things have developed over the time since I've written it. Um, you know, I was very attentive to trying to say part of the story in the book is to prevent, to present sort of the, the evolution of law. You know, how, where does law evolve from, from our earliest societies? It's just fundamental that human societies need rules that people rely on and trust to organize their relationships. And those have to become more complex as societies become more complex. Uh, I didn't want it to be uh, just about the latest, greatest, what's happening in tech right now. Uh, but I will say that that's probably the biggest change since the book was, you know, finished in draft into 2016 and then, you know, released uh, the end of 2016 to 2017. Um, you know, I've got a few paragraphs about blockchain. That's moving much faster than I expected. Uh, there's a you know there's a paragraph or two about Brexit and the election of Trump. Obviously, that's just been transformative, and I think that has its roots as well in in struggles with uh, technology um, and, uh, and 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 uh, groups. How do they feel about? Are they represented in the way in which rules are made? So I'd say that that all of that, but that's that's part of just being in this very very fast moving environment. Uh, the, the basic message is, is still the same. Maybe I'm a little bit more optimistic we'll get there sooner. There's certainly more interest than there has been there uh, Well, that's great. I mean, that's great. I think one of the, one of the interesting points, I mean, there's, there's so much we could talk about with, that your book covers. One of the points I found quite interesting um, was the issue that the, the challenges around the world, and there are many and varied, obviously, that we, we all know about instantly. You know, fundamentally, if the legal infrastructure isn't right, you know, we've got a major problem with all of those challenges. I think it was a really interesting point on a, on a wider perspective, because this, um, you know, premonition is very much a legal tech 
company and this chat, this chat is going to be about legal tech. But um, for those of you interested in the wider perspective of, of law and how law matters, uh, there is a wider perspective in the book that, that Julian covers. Just going back then to, to legal tech a little bit, uh, Julian, mm-hmm. and again, interested in your perspective on what drives it. Now, uh, I think you have a view, don't you, about the fact that uh, clearly, there needs to be diversity. There needs to be outsiders coming in. It needs to be about market energy. Just, just package in a few moments, if you would, your thoughts about what drives innovation in in legal tech. I think the most important thing to recognize about innovation in legal tech is it's happening in an environment that currently, you might say, has very little oxygen. Law is is generally a very closed system. Uh, And I think that's a critical reason we haven't seen the level or rate of innovation to date that we absolutely need. Uh, Lawyers uh, have, you know, structured a system that's uh, largely a monopoly to participate in. Um, This is not true in the UK, but it is in Canada and the US and other parts of the world. You can't get investment, uh, outside investment in legal tech initiatives. and, you know, it, it, even in places that are more open, uh, there's a way in which law is seen as, you know, that's what the lawyers do. The rest of us are kind of, we just, you know, we, we'll do the deal, we'll design the company, you know, we'll come up with the policy and we'll throw it over the transom for the lawyers to, you know, do that magical stuff using whereas and heretofore and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. So I do think that has meant that what we've largely got so far is we've we've got efforts to build t- legal technology where there's clearly money right now uh, so that a lot of that has been focused on uh, you know this really t- tiny sliver it's a huge fraction of the actual revenues in the legal system industry legal industry right now but it's really a tiny sliver of total legal work or potential demand, and that's, you know, the high-end corporate stuff that's done by big law firms. I'd say the other thing that worries me about where legal tech is currently is a lot of it is um, understandably focused on making a fen- the phenomenally complex world that lawyers have created easier for lawyers to handle. Mm-hmm. So I love the fact that we've got... Uh, AI that's, you know, now able to, um, you know, review documents, tell you what's in that NDA, manage documents. Uh, you know, the, the real thing we should be aiming for is, you know, why do we need, twenty you know, a, a four-page, seven-page, ten-page non-disclosure agreement that you need a machine to accurately read? Um, I'm not sure that makes sense. Or e-discovery processing millions of documents, the fundamental question is, why do we need millions of documents to resolve um, a dispute? Well, one of the things you said there reminded me of Richard Susskind's, um, one of my favorite Richard Susskind's lines was, it's very difficult to go into a room full of millionaires and ask them to change their business model. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so it generally has to be outsiders. But, but also I'm going to pick up on the, on the question of why, because um, this was raised in an earlier Premonition podcast, actually, with Richard Troman's. Uh, here in the UK, was there's a bit of an obsession with legal tech about you know who's doing it and what's being done and how it's going to improve the the lawyer's lot, but there's very rarely a question about why, and I, and I think also perhaps a question about what's the impact for the consumer of legal services. I mean, what's your view about about those issues? Well, I think that's the that's the fundamental reason I say that you know yes we have more bu- bubbling up in legal tech 
today, but I'm not yet seeing uh, the, the kinds of transformational innovations that I think we need and can have. And those are the ones that make the legal world uh, easier to navigate uh, and more available to people than and companies than what we have now. Um, so I'm, yeah, the, the why is, you know, why do you need law? You need law in order for people in communities, for people in businesses, for people around the globe to be willing to work together, live together, move forward with investments and, um, and joint, you know, joint ventures and so on. Uh, it's, it's not just to process documents and assess liability. Uh, so I think the, the, um, and, and that's, I think there's tremendous value there. Uh, so I, I like say, look, I, I, so a really important thing I, I heard when I was preparing for the book, doing research for the book, went and talked to general counsel, a number of, you know, big, big companies. So I was talking to, uh, people at Cisco and at Google. I spoke with Ken Walker at Google. Um, it's probably in around, you know, in 2007 or so now it seems like ancient history, but, you know, I was just asking what are the main issues you're dealing with, uh, in terms of innovation and how the legal system works. And, you know, he, he really emphasized, um, one, I have no way of figuring out, you know, what deals aren't getting done because of what I'm dealing, you know, the, 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 the documents involved, the delay involved. I, I can't tell what's happening in that sphere. Um, I have a very hard time finding lawyers who understand I don't want the 50-page legal memo. You know, I need the advice that, you know, today, because I'm getting off the plane tomorrow uh, to talk to a partner. The capacity to help people navigate the legal system, uh, I, I don't see enough effort on that. Um, I don't see how do we make it easier for people and businesses to evaluate their options. Um, you know, run the scenarios, really understand what the difference is between taking that strategy and this strategy. I think there's tremendous opportunity there uh, that, that we're not yet addressing. Uh, and that's largely because lawyers have not, I think, really taken to heart that that's what their clients, uh, uh, that's what their clients need and are looking for. Well, I'm going to come back to that point in a moment, Julian, and, and, the, and the issue of quality, the def mm -hmm. how people perceive quality in, in legal services in terms of the suppliers and the buyers. But just a quick point on, on transformational innovations. Uh, you were involved, I think, in the recent global legal hacks. Uh, yes. An, an exciting, an exciting weekend, things that came out of that that you, you were amazed by, think are going to transform the world? Uh, so I think what was so uh, inspiring about the Global Legal Hackathon was just the very fact that there were uh, 40 groups in 40 cities, 20, I think 21 countries around the world. Uh, that's phenomenal to have that kind of energy on this topic um, and focused on this. And when you scrolled through and you see it's in um, Johannesburg and uh, Monash University in Australia, and it's um, uh, Ukraine, uh, Los Angeles, London, Toronto. It just, you know, it was really very inspiring to do that. And to see the number of young people involved was really, really quite striking as well. Um, I, I put out um, a set of, uh, they, they, I, I started tweeting a few weeks before the uh, the hackathon to say, let's, let's really start thinking about what are the problems worth solving here? 
I've watched a lot of these kinds of hackathons or innovation challenges in law over the years. And I think it's really important that we focus on what are the problems worth solving? Uh, those ended up as the, the Hadfield challenges and um, that got distributed. And, and the, the point there was to say, look, let's not focus on how to make the really complex stuff more readable to lawyers. When people start thinking about legal innovation, the first thing they think about doing is how can we process all of the material lawyers are producing that's so hard to keep track of? Um, and, uh, or, or how can we predict uh, how, what lawyers and judges and existing systems are gonna do? It's all, all important, but you really have to peel down a little below the layer of that to say what you're really looking for is it's not going to be helpful to most even small businesses or even bigger businesses to know, you know, what are all the terms in my contract? What they need to know is, you know, how am I going to make sure my idea doesn't get stolen? How can I be sure that my engineers will still be able to work on this project? Uh, how can I be sure that it's worth the resources to commit to what the other side is looking for in this deal um, or evaluate liability? What are my alternatives? Um, so, so I was really trying to prompt people to look below the surface of how to make our existing overly complex, overly expensive system and just to say, well, let's make that at least easier to read and instead say, no, can we produce something that's uh, more user-friendly, more effective? Um, I always hold up my iPhone at some point to people and say, look, this thing does really complex stuff, but the reason we love it is because it's so intuitive to use, and, and that's what I want for law. Did, did, did anything emerge from those uh, hacks that, that particularly stood out for you? Well, I saw some great stuff in the Los Angeles one. I was closely uh, affiliated with that one, of course. Uh, we had uh, people working on a team. Um, actually, our winning team was uh, students of, of mine who worked on uh, developing expungement app for uh, people in California who are now eligible to expunge marijuana records, which is a critical important thing to do for employment, for scholarships, for uh, lots of reasons. Another uh, team with a student of mine on it that was working on actually developing for personal injury uh, attorneys as a first use case, um, an online crowdsourcing substitute for focus grouping mock trials to evaluate cases and move them to settlement uh, with a lovely ambition of taking that to um, much broader uh, dispute resolution purposes. Because for a lot of people, all they really need in their smaller disputes is they just want uh, a resolution. Yep. They want to be able to say, I've got through a process, reasonable process, and I was in the right or I was in the wrong, and, and to be able to just evaluate that. Um, another fantastic project, uh, another USC student, um, with a, a contracting platform, a micro-contracting platform for uh, again, their initial use case was thinking about people in the creative industry. So lovely attention to how do you produce something for a group of people where you don't want to use the word contract, you don't want to use, um, you know, all terms of service, you don't, you just want to come up with a way for uh, a creative people to have something much more reliable and to actually get them out of the complexities of the, the uh, state legal system. Um, so, saw so some really, really terrific, uh, things emerging, um, 
I haven't even had a chance to pour through all of them yet. I think they're still organizing them to go over the list, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to well, seeing well, the whole, there, there's whole a collection. Great, there's a great example of market energy at its best, isn't it? You know, people putting those kind of innovative ideas in. Hopefully some of them will get funded and get some, get some traction. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yes. move you, Gillian, if I may, to a couple of points that are particularly close to our hearts here at Premonition, I guess. And, and that's um, the issue of quality, or what I would call is... Um, what quality means to the suppliers, the lawyers in particular, and perhaps what quality should mean to the market. From from Premonition's uh, basis, you know, we, we come from the position that um, we think there are some fantastic lawyers out there, but it's sometimes very difficult to isolate who they might or might not be. Uh, and therefore, mm-hmm. our, our, our platform is based on, on win-loss ratios. But just give me a little explanation, because I know you've covered this in other forums, about the issue of quality and how it's perhaps your challenge to lawyers is perhaps misunderstood about what that means. Yes. So lawyers don't like it if you say, you know, we've got a problem with quality in the legal industry because it sounds like you're saying they don't understand uh, the things they've studied and worked at for a very long time. Uh, You know, how to read, (laughs) how to read cases, analyze cases, uh, conduct a litigation, draft a contract and so on. Uh, and in fact, I'd say when we think about quality in that way, it's actually a, a well-known difficulty. Uh, people will talk about it, the gold plating problem that lawyers kind of, you know, you know, they're 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 wonderfully smart and committed people. And, uh, you know, they, they are driven to do an excellent job, identify every possible risk, uh, evaluate all possible litigation strategies, think about all the things that might happen. And the difficulty with that is, I think it's important to remember, this is as an economist talking, quality is about doing what the person who's come to you for service needs you to do. And quality is the match between what they're looking for and what they need and what you are supplying. And we also use quality in more generally in other industries to talk about differentiated quality. So it's true, you know, the high-end BMW is a higher quality car, uh, you know, than the, um, you know, the small, you know, the, the Honda Civic or the Neo or, or whatever. Um, but when we think about quality, we're thinking about how well are you serving a market, in fact, a differentiated market. Um, if we think about quality as the ability to write a perfect, from an academic perspective, brief or argument, uh, then it's like saying the whole world, you know, you you can only buy the top-end vehicle. And we're not going to make those uh, Fords, uh, the lower-end Ford or whatever. I mean, I know Ford makes some very high-end cars as well. Um, And we're not going to build buses. (laughs) We're not going to um, you know, so so I think it's important to remember quality is ultimately about what works, what produces value for the person who needs and buys these services. Yeah, um, looking at it from an economic perspective rather than a, perhaps an intellectual or a cerebral perspective. I don't, I don't know. Yes. Yeah, possibly. And, and, and moving on to AI, uh, Gillian, if we can just kind of wrap this up, because mm-hmm. it's been a fascinating discussion. But AI is what fascinated us in particular. And I know that we have some common ground here, I think, because you judged mm-hmm. you judged an AI versus lawyer challenge, as did we in uh, the UK with with, uh, 
with a case prediction challenge, um, which found out uh, well, found out to be uh, more in favour of AI than the lawyers. Um, and you had a similar experience with NDAs recently. Yes, yes. So, so I, I, I had some input into the design of this study. This was done by law geeks uh, in Israel, and and um, uh, you know, putting you know, this is a this is an AI trained on uh, NDAs as a use case, initial use case. Uh, presented the uh, you know a set of NDAs that hadn't been seen before to the AI, and then to a group of uh, twenty lawyers, and compared the uh, accuracy of the lawyers and the AIs. Um, and you know the the overall result is the average uh, uh, the average lawyer was get was catching about eighty five percent of the uh, elements of the the NDA, and uh, the AI was I think getting about ninety five percent. And this this is just saying yes, there is a you know non compete in this document. Yes, there is an arbitration clause in this document. It's not going further than that yet. Um, so, you know, better or as good or better. Um, uh, but of course, massive time difference in how long it takes to accomplish that objective. And I think importantly, the, you know, the, the humans uh, were given their best shot at it uh, in a setup like this, because in the real world, uh, humans aren't told sit quietly in that room for as long as you'd like and do nothing except Yes. Uh, you know, identify the provisions in this contract. Yes. Uh, I mean, really, nobody should be getting less than 100% on that, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, in the real world, it's, you know, it's, a, it's part of a busy day. It's sinking to the bottom. It's taking two weeks before you get to it in the first place. Um, you know, you, there's a quick scan on the bus home or something. Uh, so I, I, th I, I actually am hoping we'll be able to, at some point to run the, you know, the, the test in the wild. Uh, well, that, well, that will, be, that will be. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you saw the, the one over here, but it was run by uh, Case Crunch um, Premonition with one of the technical judges. But the conclusion of it was that the accuracy rate with the AI was about 86% and with the lawyers was about 62%. Uh, so there was quite a sharp difference between, between the mm -hmm. two. I mean, fr from your perspective and the, and the study you did, I mean, what do you see as the implications of, 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 of those results and where it might go next? Well, I, I think there's a lot of things that come from it. Uh, one is, I, I think we're a very short time away from uh, it would be, you know, uh, it would, it, the best practice would be that you have a machine read it just to do this kind of identification uh, precisely for this fact uh, that, uh, you know, you're going to get the same result. It's going to, every time it's going to be reliably done. Um, and so I, I can imagine that becoming best practice pretty quickly. Yep. Um, I think it's a demonstration also of, wow, you need a machine to read this stuff. Does that make sense? Uh, because the whole function of a contract is to coordinate human beings uh, and organizations uh, in their activities. If they don't understand what's in their contract or it's so e we've, if we've piled so much complexity into our documents um, that you need a machine to reliably keep track of it, maybe that's not performing the function. Um, I'd love to see the next step in AI to figure out what you really need in there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, connect that up with, uh, again, this is something I remember from Ken Walker telling me when I was interviewing him, uh, uh, that, you know, he said, look, we spend, you know, we, we, we've signed millions of these things, 
And this, again, this is back in 2007. He said, you know, in my 10 years at this, I've yet to see a case where, uh, you know, the result turned on the language of a non-disclosure agreement. So if that's the case, we're spending tons and tons and tons and now developing AI, expensive AI to do something and saying, but what real effective is, is it having? Is it really improving the capacity for people who want to share ideas and build businesses together to do that? Yep. Um, so I'd love to see it head in, in that direction. Yep. I also don't think it's going to, it's not going to put lawyers out of business, um, but maybe it'll make us better at it. Well, it maybe maybe push them back towards doing bespoke reasoning, which you know is where you, where you want to pay for the value. But anyway, that, that's a bugbear. Yes. That's bugbear in mind. I'm I'm going to ask you with a, a final question. Really, it's a little bit premonition uh, based, I guess. Um, I mean, we're finding a lot of interest is coming from from sectors like the insurance industry. They're they're automating their claim and case analysis. They're beginning to automate their lawyer shortlists. I mean, how do you see the market? How do you think the market will manage the move from relate, what I can term relation-based, relationship-based hiring to more metric-based hiring? Ah, well, I, I, I certainly think we're headed in the direction of more metric-based hiring. I think we should be heading in that generally. We don't, we don't have enough uh, insight into transparency of, come back to that word, quality, outcomes, value in law. Uh, I think this is a critical problem, and you can see this throughout, whether it's, uh, I, that's a reason we haven't had enough innovation just within, you know, forget tech, just, you know, let's figure out a better way to serve our clients, because there's not enough transparency into the results and metrics, certainly within the large legal departments, uh, the shift to metrics has been pretty significant. Uh, same thing is true with, with legal education, uh, and, and figuring out how do we better uh, train, certify, oversee our the people who are ultimately providing that kind of uh, providing legal work and products. Uh, I I do think that the the fact that we are getting so much closer to being able to say um, this is what works and this doesn't, this is worth it and this is not. Uh, I mean, very quickly you're going to say what's the what do we have better case outcomes today with e-discovery? and millions of documents than we had in a world with paper where it was you know, relatively limited what you could capture. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think we've probably improved the quality of our dispute resolution. You know, we've significantly increased the cost, but we probably have not increased the, uh, the, the value that we're producing. Uh, so I, I, I think metrics are gonna have a big impact. I'd love to get more and more data out there about what our lawyers are able to do, what they're doing, what they're not doing, what they could do better, what clients really value, what makes a difference. Well, on that grand note, from our perspective, uh, Julian, I want to thank you again for giving you, uh, us your time. You're such an esteemed guest for our little fledgling podcast that I'm completely thrilled to have had you, uh, had you talk to us. Uh, delighted to. Thanks very much. Really enjoyed uh, it. All the best. And anybody listening, uh, there will be links uh, on the page, the podcast page of Premonition to, to Gillian's uh, book and to her wider career. And, and if you're interested, you can pursue those there. Gillian, thank you again. Great. Thanks very much. Not at all.